We are talking about some sensitive items this morning, and so if you've got little ones and you feel uncomfortable, and we've got a nursery back here if you want to pop out for a minute. Um, but the way we do here is we preach through a book of the Bible, and, um, and, and so we preach whatever verses we come to, which means we preach the, the entire Bible. And so this morning, the, the topics uh, of, of the sermon, it, it's called Under Control, and it's about actions. The three things that Paul's going to talk about this morning are related to sex, greed, and anger. So you get to hear me talk about sex this morning, and I know y'all are so excited. We have, um, the, the thing is, and I was praying about this, and I was thinking this passage has come, and, and this is where we're at, and so we've got to preach it. And, and obviously, I'm like you, it feels a little uncomfortable. But here's what I know. I've got a sixth grade daughter who's learning way more from all her friends and hearing all kinds of stuff from the world and the culture about sex and identity and all these things. And so I think it's beneficial for all of us to take a minute, take a moment, a morning and say, what's God's word say about these things? For, for them to hear it, for you to hear it as, as a parent, a grandparent, and, and let's just spend some time on this passage um, understanding these things. We're not going to spend a lot of time there, but it is part of the passage, and we're going to talk about it, all right? Under control, actions. I found some video of Larry Joe uh, on the golf course this week. We laugh because we've all been there, right? <laughs> Maybe not that bad, somebody said. But, but we have been at a place where our actions get the best of us, where they get in front of us. This is funny. We're laughing at it. Either you've been there, you've seen somebody. I had a friend in school, grew up with him, good friend, all through school, and he had the worst temper. And uh, I remember, like, I just... Uh, we'd go to his house, and if I ever beat him at one-on-one, -on -one, it was over. I just had to call my mom and tell her to come get me. Like, he wasn't going to talk to me the rest of the time. He was better than me, but every now and then I'd edge one in, and he'd get mad in games, and, and he'd lose his, lose his temper. And, and, and the reality is, man, actions get the best of us sometimes. It's exactly what Paul is talking about here, the reality of that though we are saved, and many of us are, and we've given our life to Christ, we still live in flesh and the flesh has these desires and willpower and this thing, the things it wants to do, and it's warring against the spirit inside of us. Um, and, and so we know if you're a parent, you've, you've, you've had a toddler or maybe a teenager, and, and, we, and we try to guide and control their behavior, if you will. How's that working out for you? Anybody got it figured out? It's like, perfect. Mine snapped my fingers on this. 
I'm thinking about the times Bethany's had Harker in Walmart, and he's been losing his mind. And we got him in the cart, and people were coming by, and he's just yelling, help me, help me, to every person <laughs> that's coming by. All right, like she's abusing or something because she won't let him flip and pull toys off and do all the things he wants to do. And, and so we get frustrated with our kids. But the reality is we're not much better ourselves of controlling our actions. Right this time of year, it's January. How y'all doing on your resolutions? You decided to eat better. How you doing? Right? You, you decided to exercise more. How you doing? Right? Some of you, you can feel okay if you're doing good. We'll cheer you on. I mean, somebody doing good on there? Please, somebody. I got a couple. We got a couple doing good. But the reality is it's even hard to control our own actions, to set our mind to something and decide that's the way we're going to be. And so, so, so it's hard to control how much we eat, how we exercise, how fast we drive. It's time to do taxes here in a little bit, and you start thinking about loopholes and places, and, and can we fudge numbers and expense reports or timesheets or losing our temper or websites we go to or what we read and what we watch. All these things are difficult to control. I want to remind you a little bit uh, about last week where we talked about thoughts this was Colossians 3.2. It says, Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. He said, For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And we talked about this reality that, that we don't just get thoughts or actions under control. The reality is that we have died to the flesh when we give our life to Christ, and He is living inside of us. And we have put them under His control. That we've allowed the Spirit to take up residence inside of us. And it says it is willing all the good. And it is changing us from the inside out. It is renewing us day by day. Renewing our minds. And so we found that thoughts last week and the same for this week. It's not just that we're going to get them under control. And our actions, we're going to put them under His control. All right, we're going to see what this looks like and what Paul has to say here. Let's read it. Colossians 3, starting in verse 5. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. We're going to save those last two, slander and dirty language. We're not going to talk about those this morning. That, that'll be for next week. We'll be talking about words and emotions. And so, um, so, so this week we're coming up about halfway through verse 8. The first thing I want you to see here is how Paul approaches actions and how he approaches this whole thing. And what I would say is a radical command. It is a radical command to you and me. He, he, he doesn't say, when it comes to these things that are holding us back, that he's talking about here, these actions, he doesn't say, let go and let God deliver you. He doesn't say, pray for deliverance 
from the sin. He doesn't even say, try to get this under control. He says something that's radical. He says, put to death. Put to death. This Greek verb, it literally means to make dead. It's very strong, and it is a verb, and it is a, a radical call to the person in the church that he's talking to. It suggests that we're not simply to suppress or control evil acts and attitudes. We are to wipe them out. We are to wipe them out, completely exterminate the old way of life. One theologian said it like this, be killing sin or it will be killing you. In contrast to this would be said, well, I'm just the way I am and I got this problem. It's just the way it is. And this is nowhere what Paul teaches. He teaches that we can always be growing more and more like Christ and that we should have a heart to not just try to contain it, but we should have this deep-seated desire to put it to death. To put it to death. So what's he talking about? Uh, well, let me remind you what Jesus said in Mark seven twenty. He said, all sin begins at the thought level. Let me read you what he said. What comes out of a person defiles him. For from within, out of the human heart, come evil ideas, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, evil, deceit, debauchery, envy, slander, pride, and folly. All these evils come from within and defile a person. This is exactly what Paul is saying here. Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. We find that our flesh has these desires and it wants to be a one way. And even Paul struggles with it. He shares in his own stories that which I want to do, I don't do. That I don't want to do, I do. This is the wrestle that we have as believers in the flesh. So let's look at this. Uh, so we, we've heard the radical command, put it to death. Like for real, guys. This is, let's just put this down. And then he says, here's the things, the subject of that command. Here's the things that I want you to put to death. Before we get into those, I want, you to say, I want you to understand, it's important that he names them, and it's important that I name them this morning. They listen them out, because otherwise we will go through life just floating around and bump into them and start adopting them and being a part of them and not even realize it. If we've not said, oh, those five, six things I need to stay away from, you're not even going to know you're involved in it unless he lists them out and he says them specifically. So he felt like it was important to tell these people these specific things. Things so they knew what to watch out for. Second thing before we get into the list, who's he writing this to? The church. Colossa, he's writing this to believers. Like somebody could take this out of context, right? And we just want to go to the world and say, hey, y'all need, need to put to death all this sexual immorality and impurity. And we want the whole culture in America to put all this to death. And we just go to them and tell them this. Listen, and Paul never really says that to the world. He says it to the church. The message to the world is, y'all never going to get this under control. You need Jesus. Right, that's the message. So if you're here this morning and, and, you're, and you've not professed Christ, you've never given him your life, you're just wondering, what's all this stuff about? I, I want you to hear these things, not as pressure in your life that you've got to do these things to make God happy. 
I don't want you to hear that this morning. You don't have to do these things to find peace with God. You don't have to do these things for God to love you. You don't have to do these things to get saved. You don't have to get everything cleaned up and then come to God. No, that's not what this, that's not who he's talking to. He's not talking to you. But I do want you to see and hear these things and let it shine a light on your own life and let you see, man, I fall short. And because I fall short, I need a Savior. And I want you to let this draw you to Jesus Christ, okay? Because he loves you regardless of these things. He came and died for you regardless of these things. And so I want you to know there's hope and grace and mercy just waiting for you. Second thing, if you're a believer here this morning, Paul's writing a letter to you. Okay? He's speaking to you. He's called you up. He said, this is for you. This is for the believers. This is for you. And I want, I want you to hear it. And I want, as I've talked about, I said, we're in Christ and he's in us. And we've died to our flesh and we live in Christ. I want you to hear this truth that these things, these things we're getting ready to talk about that he lists out, Jesus would never walk in any of these sins. He would never walk in any of these sins. So if we've professed our faith in him, and we identify with him, and we are his hands and his feet, we should not walk in these sins. I would almost say, and I believe what is taught throughout scripture, is that a, 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 a true believer cannot live habitually in these sins in peace. You might be a believer and you might step into them. You're going to mess up. Even Paul himself in 1 Timothy, the last letter he wrote, the more he grew in understanding God's grace, he said, I am a sinner of which I am chief. He understood. Like The more he understood God's grace, the more he understood he was broken. But he's still writing these letters and giving us this heart to grow more and more like Christ and put sin to death and be righteous, not to get saved but because Christ lives inside of us. And we've got to be a witness to the world, and we've got to be light and darkness. So let's, let's look at it. Y'all ready to look at the list? Nope. Everybody's done. Everybody's checked out. Picked the wrong week to come. So the, the, this have nothing to do. This is where we're starting. First four things are really all about uh, sexual Immorality have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. All these things are connected to what is a very natural desire in the human body, and that is uh, a, a sexual desire. We were made, God created it, and man abuses it. And we are tempted to abuse it. The, the, the one commentary said it like this, this is not against sex, but against sexual perversion. Where's the line between the two? The Bible everywhere celebrates heterosexual monogamous marriage as the proper situation for sexual fulfillment. Christian men and women should be open to true love and to sexual intimacy within the commitment to lifelong fidelity. That is God's way. The rest is dangerous and futile. Stay away. Sexual sin and perversion will drain your energies and turn your heart away from God. It's a reminder 
that sex outside the marriage of a man and woman is outside of God's design and therefore it's called sin. And sin brings chaos. And it brings disappointment. And we know in Romans, it says that the wages of sin are death. Let me read Romans 1, 24. Where I'm going to read a, a kind of a, a, a large passage here, but I want you to hang with me. I want you to hear this. Because we've got to get our hearts right about this. We've got to understand it. You've got to come to this to the right context. You've got to hear what I'm trying to say. And Paul says it great here in Romans 1, starting in verse 24, and I'm going to read into chapter 2. Starting in Romans 1, 24, Paul says, So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of the sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. That sounds like the world, right? The culture. Man, it sounds like as a church, I, I can almost hear Paul reading that. And as the, the church is reading that out loud, they're probably getting like, yeah, that's right. That's right, Paul. Chapter 2, verse 1. You may think you can, can condemn such people. This is to the church. But you're just as bad. And you have no excuse when you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in His justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing those things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see His kindness is intended to turn you from your Sin. Amen. Paul reminds us here that if we've committed one sin, we're guilty of the entire law. That we have no place to take pride in our own righteousness and condemn other people for what they do and who they are and how they are. What we do have a call to do is preach the truth. And the truth is that God's kindness does not just save us, but it does begin to turn us from our sin. So what kind of sexual sin lives in our culture? There's all kinds. There's, uh, there's a lot out there. And as you read these things, uh, uh, sexual immorality, 
uh, impurity, lust, and evil desires. That lust is about passion. It's about the desire for the wrong things. And all these drive us uh, to, to, to actions that are not healthy. Um, we, we find that, that this includes anything outside of sexual marriage or out of marriage. So it, it's sex before marriage. It's adultery. It's prostitution. It's any of these things that you can think of uh, that's not within the confines of marriage. There's another thing, though, that I think is really an epidemic. I've got a friend that's from India, um, and, uh, and I've got to know him fairly well, and I, I met him when I was at Soar. He's been to church here, actually, and he was telling me a story. We were, we were in Boston for a meeting, and I was talking to him there, and he's from Kentucky, uh, and I was talking to him, and I was telling him, you know, when I was at SOAR, we were talking about the, 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 the excitement around broadband connectivity and the jobs that can be created with it and what we can do and everything that we were working on. And, and he kind of looked at me and said, uh, he said, I grew up in an Indian rural community. He said, we got broadband. I said, he said, it is a good thing, but I, I want to caution you about something. And uh, he's a believer, and he told me, he, he said, I went to seminary, and I, I was the IT director at seminary, the seminary I was at. He said, well, you want me to tell you what the biggest problem we had there? He said, I was the IT director, and all these guys were there, and, and, and people committed their life to Christ. And he said, we continually had to meet with them and remove people because of pornography. And I was like, oh, because I, I, I've seen that, the impact, seen the reality of that. And if we don't think that this is an epidemic around us, we're badly mistaken. It says that, that the research says that 10% of U.S. adults admit to having an addiction to Internet pornography. Can I be real with you just for a minute? <laughs> One in ten, that means last week there was 250 people here at our church, statistically 25 of people. This morning it looks like there's maybe 190 of you guys in here. You see, the, the, the word pornography is based on the Greek word porneia, which is translated here in this verse, sexual immorality. Other statistics, one in five men admit to accessing porn while at work. One in six women struggle with porn addiction. Average age of exposure, why is it important that middle schoolers and high schoolers are in here right now? Fourteen. Ninety-three percent of boys are exposed before they turn 18. Fifty percent... 56% of divorce proceedings cite an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. Those addictions say we spend, they spend 11 to 12 hours per week, that it affects the relationships. What I want to say is like, we've got kids and we've got these devices. And we can't, can't be blind to the, the reality and the truth and the access and the things that are floating around with our kids and high schoolers and adults and all of us, okay? You with me for a minute? It, this is extremely addictive. It is a, a, a weapon of the enemy 
Because he knows the fleshly desires and he's created these opportunities that are hidden, that are out of sight, that we think nobody else sees and nobody else knows. And and you know deep inside you, it's eating you. Statistics, there's somebody here I'm talking to right now. Here's what I want to say to you. God loves you. You are not alone. There is hope to break this, to get out of this. We, we have to talk about it. We can't pretend like it's not here because it's destroying marriages. It's destroying families. It's, it's changing kids. It's, and, and so if you're a middle schooler and a high schooler, here's what I'd say to you. Put it to death. Early and fast. You're going to get text messages. You've got friends going to send you links. They're going to send you videos. They're going to send you pictures. Delete it. Don't look. You ever heard the saying, curiosity killed the cat? This all starts with curiosity. I understand it. Put it to death. Early and quick. If you're there and you're stuck and you can't get out of it, you know what God has done? He brought celebrate recovery to this place. A real tangible way, Christ-centered, Bible-based, community-driven, where you can get in and everybody's going to love you no matter what. You came and told me, you know, I've got friends in ministry openly say, I struggle with pornography. Do you know the power in being able to say that? Tell somebody. Tell somebody to love you anyway. That'll walk with you through it. It's the power of the church and God to change you, to help you. Go to Celebrate Recovery. The first step, how do I put it to death? Go to Celebrate Recovery. Come tomorrow night, 6 o'clock, right here. Start working the steps. Let Jesus change you. Here's the thing. I, I, I believe, because I've got friends who are sincere, genuine believers that struggle with it. Just because you struggle with it doesn't mean God doesn't love you, Okay? If you're struggling with it and you live in ease and you think it's fine and it's what I do and you don't feel any conviction about it, that's a scary place to be. Okay? But if you're broken about it, that's a sign that God loves you. He's helping you. He's coaching you. He's convicting you. He's trying to help you see, I want to change you. I want to free you from this. Okay, let's move on to greed. (laughs) Y'all done with sex? He says, don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Every godly man seeks his happiness in God. The covetous man seeks that in his money which God alone can give. Therefore, his covetousness is properly idolatry. Craving, grasping, desiring to have something when it is not needed is what greed is. And we're consumed with it here. We're in America. We have pretty much everything we need. So anything you're wanting, you're thinking about, you're putting on a list is probably just extra. You know, it's the the new phone, the car, the things in your life. Like this is just, we're consumed with it. 
I just want you to be reminded it, it is idolatry, and we should try to put it out of our minds. We should seek first the kingdom of God. It is worshiping the created over the creator. I know we're almost out of time, so I'm going to move on. Let's talk about rage real quick. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, and malicious behavior. Uh, I want to just tell you, there's, there's, we do get angry. Anybody ever get angry? Anybody ever lose your temper? Anybody be like, I've never lost my temper. Anybody here never lost it? Just kept cool? No, that's not true. It's like halfway up. There's two kinds of anger. There's, there's unjustified anger and there's justified anger. Unjustified anger is rooted in self. You're, you're angry because someone did something to you or something to happen to you. It's an anger that broods. It's selfish. It harbors malice. It won't forget. It lingers. It wills revenge like it wants revenge. And sometimes it even goes to get it. Sometimes it's just deep down inside of you just hoping somebody gets what they deserve. That is not healthy or Christ-like anger. The last thing Jesus wants is for us to get what we deserve. That's why he went to the cross. Can you imagine Jesus himself and Chris shared this passage with me that one of his friends sent him this morning is from a book, I think, and it was talking about Jesus. It's like, can you imagine Jesus? He's carrying his cross and he's going to, 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 to die on the cross. And, and he's looking at the crowds that are along the roads. And, and he starts saying, really? Barabbas? You picked Barabbas over me? <laughs> but isn't that how we want to be? Jesus would never be that way. Jesus would never be that way. So, so, so justified anger is always disciplined and it's controlled. And it's limited to those who do wrong, not against me, but against God or someone else. You can get upset if you see a child getting abused. Okay? You can get upset if you see somebody blaspheming and, and, and going against God and saying, saying things against God. That feeling inside, though, can't come out as rage monster. It's still disciplined and it's controlled. It seeks to correct the situation in the most peaceful way possible. And we find that unjustified anger as this leads on. It leads to slander, filthy language, division. We'll talk about all this next week and lying and all the good stuff. There's other action items in the books that, that Paul wrote, Galatians, Ephesians. There's lists in each one kind of like this. Some are included there that aren't here. One of them is witchcraft, some drunkenness, wild parties, gluttony, food, cheating, all this stuff. I'm not going into it. I'm out of time. Someday, I'd go, I, I would encourage you to go read it. But I want you to see here as we wrap up, because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. So we have the radical command... We have the subject of the command, and then we have the consequences of disregarding the radical command. It says the wrath of God says he's angry. He is angry. He doesn't like sin, and eventually he's going to pass judgment on all evil and all sin. And it is coming. It's not rage monster anger. It's deliberate, thoughtful, patient anger that it's just God is righteous and holy. And he has to set things straight.
eventually. Here's what I want to reiterate. I don't think a true Christian can be comfortable in habitual sin. I, I don't think if you're really a believer and you've given your life to Christ that you can just live in any of these habitual sins and live into them and take pride in them. The Holy Spirit truly taking up residence in your heart. Because Paul says here that we once walked in these sins. This is the radical hope. You used to do these things. So there's a radical command, but there's radical hope. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world, but you have come out of the world. You are now in Christ Jesus. You are hidden in Him, in God. My question is this. If you've made a commitment to Christ, are you remaining true to it? Are you living into His identity? Walking as He would walk? You'll be tempted to explain it, to defend it, to justify it. But please understand, you're tarnishing your witness to Jesus. This is to believers living in sin, inviting chaos, dysfunction into your life. Paul said it like this, Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey Him. Don't participate in the things these people do, for once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord, so live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. This message is put your flesh to death. Get radical in attacking sin in your life under the control of the Holy Spirit. If you're trapped in addiction of any kind, come to celebrate recovery. Take the step. Do the things. Find a community that will help you. If you are walking in habitual sin and you're feeling no conviction about it, you're just living life and you don't even think about it, I would want you to right now to understand and realize and I want you to invite, I want to invite you to surrender your life to Jesus. I want you know what a scary place that is because his wrath is coming on that group. The group that not is just doing these things, but is doing those things habitually because they've never given their life. To Christ, that is the sin that separates us from God eternally by never putting our faith in Him. I read you Romans 1 and 2, and to close, I want to read Romans chapter 3. Because Paul spends the first couple chapters just laying the law down. Here's why y'all never going to make it. All right? That's why the world never going to make it. It's why the church never going to make it on their own. In Romans 3.21, he gives you hope and he gives me hope. He says this, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. Let's pray. God, we thank You. As the worship team comes up, and we're going to sing one last song that says, Christ alone, our cornerstone. God, today you've given us a difficult word, a difficult passage, a convicting passage, a passage that 
that, that reminds us that following you requires counting the cost, that, that following you is not just in word, but it is in deed. And uh, we thank you that we can't do this on our own. We thank you of the truth that, that, that we, we can't get things under control, but we can put them under your control. And I, I just pray that anyone here that's struggling, that today, Lord, you would just invite them, that you would, you would speak in their heart, that your Holy Spirit would draw them to you in such a way that they see that the only hope they have is in you. They don't need to get it right. They can't get it together. They just need to surrender. And that invitation is open to any and all that would come for whosoever would believe upon your son shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God, thank you for this radical hope in such a sinful and broken world. I think I could challenge Paul and say, no, Paul, I'm chief. I'm a chief of sinners. And still Christ saved me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
with us, church. not in you, right? You'll be able to plead the blood over your life. so many voices make an outrageous radical claim to acknowledge the reality that you are Lord of all and in that we unlock your power in our lives and in our community in this church body God that we put you first above ourselves above each other you first God, we just want you to do your will in this place. We want you to reach the lost. We want you to love the broken. We want people to experience Jesus, you in real and relevant ways through all the people that are here as they go into their places of work and school, that they walk in the light that you put inside of them and begin to just leave a trace of transformation all around us. You can do that. When we earnestly say you are Lord of all, we did that today in Jesus' name, amen.